Welcome to The Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Today, we're talking with Andy Molsky, fitness expert, wellness advocate, president of the Justin Timberlake fan club, a pro wrestling fanboy, Marvel Comics expert, and an outstanding CrossFit coach. Today, we're going to cover a lot of ground, including supporting people to make healthy lifestyle changes that stick, and how to handle adversity and sticking with those positive changes to see a better outcome. We'll also talk about the power of community, the only place in America where Yellow by Coldplay could be used as a walk-up song, and our favorite pro wrestlers. Let's have some fun and get on the highway to well. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is scheduled for one fall and is for the title belt. Introducing Andy Molsky, the people's champ, <laughs> hailing from parts unknown, the master of power, the king of sting. Can you smell what he's cooking? Rated as the best pound for pound Nickelback fan in Stevens Point proper, forever Spash Panther. Am I going? Is that good? That was awesome. I didn't know you had that prepared. Oh, but. you just wait. I got some more. All right. <laughs> His punches are just as hard in Plover as they are in Park Ridge. Oh, man. He survived the Murph and can do the new tweeter end zone dance on cue. The man, the myth, the monolith, Andy Molsky. I could run through on the highway to well. a brick wall right now after that intro, really. And what's I'm the wall? jazzed up. I'm jazzed up too. So what's your walk-up song? So I just gave you the biggest introduction in the history of Highway to Well. <laughs> what's your walk-up song after that? My walk-up song is and always will be I'm a Real American, which is Hulk Hogan's 1980s <laughs> to late 90s <laughs> WWF, not WWE, WWF theme. If you haven't heard it, you got to look that up. Uh, I I know I've heard it, but I probably banked it away somewhere <laughs> in my like preteen memory. But I I'm picturing the Hulk ripping his shirt off. How many screaming. shirts do you think he went through in his career? Really, That's I don't know. So many wasted. Did they material. ever give those? Did they do anything with charity with those? Like, did he rip them off and then they saved them and then they like used it to help school kids and sell them? I this mean, was like pre-internet, pre-eBay, pre, pre, like everyone being involved in the same world community on this. With the Hulksters, 22-inch pythons running wild, there probably wasn't too much of that shirt left after he ripped it off, his tan physique, but I'm sure some of them were sold. You know, we'll have to look into that after. Yeah, I, I will say Hulk Hogan, to me, is always going to be Thunderlips. From Rocky Three, <laughs> I I will uh, never I will never get like into the his pro wrestling career as much as I loved him as Thunderlips in Rocky Three. You know a little behind the scenes story. You know there's there's faces and heels when in the wrestling community the faces are the good guys. That's oh, yeah. who the crowd cheers for. The heels are the bad guys. That was one of the only points, uh, except for his run in the NWO, as leader of the NWO in the late 90s, that he played a heel in his career was when he was the ultimate ladies' man, Thunderlips. 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 Thunder Thunder could you even, 
in today's world, could he be called Thunderlips? I doubt it. <laughs> Would be just like thunder, thunder, thunder beefcakes. <laughs> Thunder Beefcakes. So that that would be your walk-up song. That would be. Oh, man. I was thinking, I was, I had this moment where I was trying to think of like walk-up music and I was trying to figure out what your walk-up song would be. And I forgot that you were such a Hulk Hogan fan. But thank God you didn't say Nickelback. You know, and we've talked about it personally, you and I feel that Nickelback, it's a, a bad rap, really. I mean, they are, I get it. I get it. <laughs> You're testing me. <laughs> A lot of their songs, very repetitive, very similar pattern, but yeah, their first album, go back and listen to it. It's it's all right. It's not bad. I will not do that, but I will take <laughs> your word for it. Oh, but I was in uh, Columbus, Ohio this summer. We went to um, an MLS soccer game, and MLS has done an incredible job of bringing in fan groups and, and cultivating the fan group culture. So like MLS games, for the most part, aside from maybe like the Houston Dynamo who never seem to have any fans at their games, but teams like Columbus, they're they're the oldest MLS club. They have the first soccer specific stadium. They almost lost their team for, you know, the typical stadium needs in the community and trying to figure out how to keep them around Columbus. The fans came to bat for them and kept them in Columbus. So the fan base there is crazy. And so we go to the game and and you have the there's they're playing FC Cincinnati this night and so and the FC Cincinnati is new to MLS but it's an older club they kind of have this hatred already built in this interstate derby and we we walk in and we got like the FC Cincinnati fans up above us in the in the stands chanting away the Columbus Crew fans are going crazy everyone's wearing yellow and black crew colors and then out of the blue, the fan, the players start walking onto the field, and then I start hearing Coldplay. And I'm like, "This is this going to go? Like, <laughs> what direction is this going to go?" And Coldplay is not typical walk-up music, but whoever they had DJ and put a dance beat over it, and then flares started going off, and there were smoke bombs, and I, for the first time in my life, I felt pumped hearing a Coldplay song. It you was something beautiful. They're all right too, and it, you know it all depends on like you were saying, setting, frame of mind. Everything's got its proper setting, you know. Yeah. Even Nickelback. Even Nickelback. So I have a question for you before we dig Let's into some health and wellness here. Who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time? Being the wrestling aficionado that you are, who are you picking? And you did give me a little heads up on this question, but even after some time to ponder. Yeah, that's that's really hard to, to narrow down because just like everybody has their their favorite movies, their favorite books, there's there's different genres of pro wrestling. So if, if I had to go go total package, um, we're gonna go ahead and say the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Um, as far as performance wise, on the mic in his promos phenomenal got the best crowd reactions he was doing stuff he was way ahead of his time was in the one of the first ladder matches wrestlemania 10 against razor ramon for the intercontinental title still to this day one of the only five star rated matches 
um, that we've seen uh, in the <laughs> wrestling doing, community. Who's rating these? Da- his name is Dave Meltzer. <laughs> if you you know if you if you want me to dive deep into this wrestling uh, lifestyle that I live, we can definitely take the whole thing and just swerve it that direction. But we shouldn't get too deep into it. But there's a rating system. Five stars is the peak. There's only been a handful of five star matches. Um, more recently, been getting into some Kenny Omega matches. Um, he broke the rating scale with his uh, 60 minute classic with Kazuchika Okada over oh, wow. in Tokyo, Japan. Six and a half stars, uh, also known as the best bout machine. Um, so, big fan of Kenny Omega. Just recently attended AEW's All Out. Uh, in Chicago over Labor Day weekend. It's a wild show. Man, you know what? I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old, though. <laughs> it's four and a half hours. That's that's a long time for me. So, I mean, we, we enjoyed ourselves, but by the end, I was, I was ready for bed. So, I don't know if I can do uh, too many more in-person events. We might have to retire wrestling fandom to just the couch. <laughs> but... Uh. Yeah. How about you? Can I flip the tables on you? Who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time? Oh man, says a lot about a person. Yeah, let me think about this. I think I, I think ultimately, it always goes back to the hacksaw, mm. Jim Duggan. He's still wrestling. Do you know that? How how is he still wrestling? How old does he have to be now? You know what? People still pay to see him, and you know people are still paying to see him. He's gonna do he's gonna do his thing. Obviously, he, he loves it. Walk so. around with this two by four, the two over by four, shoulder. the American flag, giving the thumbs up. Oh, you know the the classic Jim Duggan. Yeah, I there dig was it. there was a brief period in my childhood where when it was a Southwest Conference wrestling, so being raised in Oklahoma I don't know if kids in Wisconsin got to watch Southwest Conference I don't know if it was actually a conference I never understood what made it the Southwest Conference Mm -hmm. other than I remember a title bout between the Hacksaw and Jake the Snake Roberts Mm, that guy and the key for this one is there was a coal miner's glove on like a 10 foot pole on the edge of the The classic ring. coal miner. You yeah. can only do that in the South. Yeah. Those matches didn't sell up here. Coal yeah. miner's glove match. Sure. I'm well aware of them. And, I'll, and I just remember this is one of the only times that I ever, I think I was like truly fascinated and just watched in weird in a weird state what was going on so hacksaw and jake the snake did their typical thing and then they had like a couple commercial breaks and came back and then when they got to the when they got towards the end of the bout the key was you got to go get the coal miner's glove and they didn't tell you anything about like what was so special about it other than whoever got to it first was going to win so i remember then hacksaw getting the glove and then just jacking jake the snake and then like there was like foam, like fake foam coming out of his mouth because <laughs> the coal miner's glove. It was like sure. it was like Thanos's <laughs> the Infinity Stone. Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. yeah, like well, so now when I see Avengers, I'm like, I know where you got that idea. You got that from the hacksaw. <laughs> you know uh, another pro wrestler who we we see kind of emulated quite a bit. I don't know if you're a fan of of UFC or, or mixed martial arts or whatnot. I I love all sports. You know, I find beauty in all of them. That one, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, but you see a lot of Ric Flair influence 
with uh, with a lot of these current MMA fighters. So it's it's made its way again from that scripted performance over to real life sports. You know, that's how you sell fights nowadays. Mm-hmm. That's why two guys, even though behind the scenes they could be friends, are going to get up in a pre- press conference and just go back and forth. I think a lot of that stems from the Nature Boy and how he used to style and profile <laughs> back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Know, so or Apollo yeah. Creed and Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see a lot there, but yeah, I think because I'm a drive-by truckers fan, I have to go with my hacksaw. The hacksaw. I dig it. I always liked him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So we're here on the highway to well, Andy. We're on it. And you are a trainer and coach by trade. You're a wrestling fan. You're a music fan. You're a book fan. What are you reading now? I want to know what you're an avid, you're an avid user of all different kinds of apps to read books and listen to books 24 seven. What is, what are you reading now that has changed your life? Sure. So ever since, you know, I'm a father of three. Um, ever since the third child came along, I have went exclusively to audiobooks. Just because you can't keep hard copy books, they end up getting colored on or pages get ripped <laughs> out of them. It's just not uh, too efficient. So we go the audiobook route. So the one I'm currently reading, and it is you know mid September right now as as we record this, seasons are kind of changing. We're getting more towards my favorite holiday, which is which is Halloween. I know off off the mic we talked a little bit about horror movies, so I'm kind of in that mindset right now. So You're I like ready to for it. I like to turn just a little bit darker, a little bit darker this time of year. So right now I am currently listening to. Uh, the Girl Who Took an Eye for an Eye, which is part of the Girl with a Dragon Tattoo series. Oh. So I don't know a little backstory about that book. Uh, Stieg Larson was the uh, author of the first three. After he wrote his first three, those are the only three books he ever wrote. I loved them. I think I went through all three in about a week and a half. Well, he passed away, and as they were going through his stuff, he, uh, and you might have to fact check me on this story, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to pull Google up right he, uh, now. He had a bunch of out. incomplete stories continuing mm-hmm. on through the series. So one of his good friends took over the writing for the story. So I was kind of a snob for a little bit and I, I didn't continue with the series because they weren't all written by Stieg Larsson. I didn't think they would be as good. But I listened to the fourth book not too long ago, and now we're on to book number five. There's six total in the series right now. So I think I, am, I just started that the other day. I'm about an hour and a half into it. Uh, I really like that book. Um, I am also listening to um, uh, Atomic Habits, which is a book that I've listened to before. You and I have talked about it. But it's one that I like to go through. You know, Especially with audiobooks, that's one of their big cons is that you listen to it, but you know, say I'm doing the dishes while I'm listening to it, I may have a tendency to zone out a little bit from time to time. So I like to go back and, and re-listen to, to pick up any things I've, I've missed. So right now that's where we're at uh, currently with those. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Atomic Habits. So you, you're, you are in charge of really helping people change our lives. So, mm-hmm. and we talk, we've talked a lot about the value of, of what Atomic Habits is really helping. But let me ask you in your work, what, what, does it, what does it take to help people make the changes? What do, you, what do you feel like 
is the key to inspiration to helping people live a better life. Yeah, and that's, you know, obviously it's different from person to person. It, it's a longer process than a lot of people would expect. It starts out with exercise. So a lot of the times when people come to meet, you know, and this is normal at, at a lot of different facilities, but you have what's called a consult. Somebody decides that they need help with their exercise, or at least that's what they, they come to you for initially. And you sit down and you have this consult, and even though you can get a lot of good information on what's going on in people's lives, you're not gonna get everything from a 30 minute combo, right? So we have to start somewhere and where I start is with exercise. So from this consult, I gather what the person is after. We, we set the goal, right? But then we need to implement systems. And that's something that James Clear talks about in his books. Your, your goal is only as good as the systems and vice versa. So like you're a soccer coach, right? So your main goal is to do as well as you can every season, correct? But the systems behind that are player development and, you know, personal growth and, you know, maybe being involved with the fundamentals of the youth program. You know, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that that go into that goal initially. So we need to figure out where these systems are with these people currently, but that takes some time. You know, a lot of people are closed off. You know, a lot of people that are coming in for these consults, I'm meeting for the first time. Um, so the first thing we need to do is build a relationship. And I do that through exercise and through taking these people through an exercise routine. And I know that sounds kind of basic, but through these exercise routines, you get to learn more about the person and what's important to them and their daily habits, which are so super powerful. Um, you know, as it relates to that goal. So if somebody, you know, talks about their job a lot in a negative fashion, well, let's take a look at what we can do to change that perspective as it relates to that big goal. So maybe that's what's holding them back, you know, from living a proper lifestyle. Maybe it's more than exercise. Maybe it's stress management. Maybe they're getting stressed out of their job, which is what we've kind of gathered through that personal development and, and creating that relationship. So not only are we going to address the exercise and keep that a focus, but now we're gonna work in more stress management techniques and what habits, daily habits, can we implement that's going to help with stress management because they're gonna see results that are gonna move them towards their goal in that light too. You know, we, we are creatures of habit. We are what we repeatedly do. I don't, somebody smart said that. I don't, I don't know who it was, but. <laughs> I, think, I think James Clear may have repeated that about yeah, yeah. 50 times in, in Atomic Habits too. But that, that is true. And if we wanna make a change, we need to look at those habits that we're doing currently because those habits are creating the product of where we're at currently. So if we wanna make a change, let's see how we can tweak these habits in a number of different areas. Like I said, it depends a lot on the individual. I use the example of stress management, but maybe it's something else. Maybe mm -hmm. it's you know, improving sleep, or maybe it's just getting more movement in, or maybe it's a combination of a bunch of different things. But you're not gonna find that out unless you talk to these people and you find out what is truly going on and show them that you are there to help them out and move them forward. And a lot of the times people don't like to hear that, but it's more than just exercise. There isn't one magical exercise that we're gonna add in 
to change people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a combination of a, a lot of different things. Yeah. Well, I think that's what in all, all of us that are practitioners in this field. So in so you're on mostly that exercise end of it, mm-hmm. and I fall in this corporate wellness setting. And in what you're talking about is no different than what we're often tasked to do versus what we ought to do. And what I mean by that is like a lot of times companies will come and say, we want a wellness program or we want a wellness presentation. And my first question is always, okay, so what are you really trying to do here? Because oftentimes then they start talking about, you know, we want to, we just want to introduce people to wellness conceptually or, or if you, I've been asked to do several men's health convert, you know, talks. And oftentimes the expectation is that I'm going to come in and scare everyone and talk to them about preventive screenings and cholesterol numbers and glucose and trying to pay attention to all of this medical data that we're supposed to be collecting and, you know, going to see our provider and, and take care of ourselves which in and of itself is a good thing, but that doesn't motivate anyone to make a change. So it's like exercise in and of itself is movement and it's mm-hmm. movement to um, enhance either, you know, a, an area where you need to be stronger or to build strength or flexibility. Um, and for some people that are going through and, and have had any type of injury or surgery and they're recovering, there's a lot of body symmetry. You're trying to get a functional person, you know, a person to move functionally. Mm -hmm. And so in wellness, oftentimes we treat, you know, so when I say the word wellness, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? A lot for a lot of people, it's eating and it's exercise. And yet those are two, those are two things that are critical. But for the most part, what we're, what we end up talking to people about are emotional issues stress issues, um, very personal behaviors and attitudes that they've developed over a period of time from being in an environment that is not helping them grow and live to their best or maximize their potential or be, or have all the energy and vitality that they need. We start figuring out as, as you work with people that they understand the exercise and nutrition pretty easily. Look, a lot of times those are not concepts that are foreign to them, but they fail to recognize how much stress or how much job-related stress or family stress, it could be any level of stress is really impacting them. And then the other key thing that we talk about, and, and I'm very grateful for a lot of professionals in our field that are talking about this, is the social connectedness part of, of, of all of this and how if we if we look at what are what are the primary factors for to that are that are impacting people's health isolation is more important in terms of looking at that as a as a as a risk factor than oftentimes poor diet and poor you know poor diet and poor exercise habits and sometimes these are all interconnected as well but isolation is critical so in your in what you do you get people who have some type of need or goal in mind, but then how many times do you find that they're also people that are seeking wellness and they haven't thought too much about these things, about about how their lives are impacted by either their stress, social connectedness, and some of these other values that we hold? Sure. Like, you hit the nail on the head right there. I don't know how many people 
that I've met with that as we, you know, throughout these consults or just, just getting to know them, when we talk about stress and stress management and, and things like failure and, and the attitude that we have towards failing at, at anything, um, you know, how much of a negative per- perception there is around, around that. And people, when they're, they're overstressed, they feel like it's on them right mm-hmm. like like they're failing at something like why why am i so stressed why can't i just will myself out of this and that's just going to lead to more stress right so that's why things like community and social outreach and seeing that everybody is going through these these problems are so important and sometimes it just takes sitting down and talking to somebody else about it to bring that kind of thing to light say hey you you're not, you're not abnormal, right? Like everybody's going through this. Let's figure out what we can do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that a lot of the times is what I end up discussing with people, whether that be, you know, a lot of different things work for different people. But uh, you know, I'm employed at the Stevens. I don't know if I can plug them here. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Employed at the Stevens <laughs> Point YMCA, we have a free meditation class, uh, guided meditation <clears throat> that we run. It's the first Saturday of every month, um, and you can come and take that for free. You know, meditation is a big thing that I recommend for a lot of my clients that I met with who do deal with a lot of excess stress or have a, have like everybody deals with stress, right? But have problems managing that stress or let it get the best of them. Um, so we like to implement things like that. But having that community and seeing that other people go through that as well and being able to bounce ideas off each other, like, hey, we're, we're here for you or, or let's try this or let's go here is, is super powerful and important. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. What, dro- what drove you to go into the field that you're in? So, again, and I, I've talked to a lot of trainers over the years and I realized that, that a lot of trainers have a very similar story, uh, which I think is kind of <laughs> cool. Um, but you know, coming out of high school, my, my first year of college, I, you know, they talk about the, oh, it's been so long. What is it, the freshman 15, I believe? Mm. It's called, you know, you, you that transition from from your senior year of high school when you're eating mom and dad's cooking and going to, to branching out on your own, usually gain a couple pounds. You know, you're eating out a lot more. Well, mine was more like the freshman 60 to 70. Um, you know, my, my freshman year, after my freshman year of football, uh, I was... Close, I was a little over 300 pounds at my peak. And, you know, and from, from a different side of things, I just didn't feel well. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel well physically. My back hurt, my knees hurt. You know, I felt like every little movement walking upstairs was, was a challenge. Uh, mentally, I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel good about how my clothes fit, how I looked in my clothes. I've always thought people were, were looking at me funny. Um, and it got to a point where I was like, okay, it's, it's time to do something about this. And I really didn't have an idea of what to do other than what I had learned through athletics. Uh, you know, going through the football and, and different kind of training programs, track programs in high school, and the, the types of movements and exercises we did in there I felt comfortable with. I, I learned later in life that I wasn't doing them correctly, but I, you know, got back in the weight room and got back on track and 
you know, I was like, you know what? I don't feel like I'm doing this right for some of these exercises. So I went back and I researched it and found out, hey, I wasn't doing them correctly. You know, there's a, there's a proper way to do all this stuff. Uh, there's <laughs> certain sets and reps. And, you know, it was just a whole new world to me. And I, I just dove into it. Everything was so interesting. Learned about self-myofascial release. Never heard that term before, you know, and dove into that. <clears throat> and uh, through a lot of trial and error, um, and focus on nutrition, I ended up, you know, dropping about 80 pounds. It took a while. This didn't happen right away, but it took a while. And I found that not only was I feeling better physically, but mentally, I I had more confidence. I was looking people in the eye when I was talking to them. I was smiling a lot more. People were commenting to me, oh, you you look happier than you had before. And it's something that, you know, you're with yourself every day. So it's hard to notice these little changes. But, you know, I, you know, self-reflection, I am a lot happier. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just got to thinking one day, because I was working these series of jobs just to pay the bills, um, you, which I'm grateful for those life experiences too, because a lot of that was in customer service, talking to people. So again, that, that kind of helped with my future career choice in itself. But I thought to myself one day, you know, I was getting home from these jobs and I just was not happy. And it was mm-hmm. right around the time where my oldest was born. And I always remember my parents telling me, you know, make sure you don't work a job that you hate. And that's really resonated with me. And, you know, she was born and, you know, I was coming home and I was crabby and I was tired. And I was like, this is the kind of example I'm setting for my daughter. This has got to change. So even though it was scary, um, you put myself out there, had a couple interviews, got a job as as a personal trainer because I wanted to help other people who were in my scenario change. And I felt that I could effectively help them. And I I felt that having been there myself, you know, everybody's situation is different, but it it really helped uh, me me be more empathetic with a lot of the clients that I continue to deal with for the, till this day. Um, And then going forward, you know, seeing people go through and change like I changed, not just physically, but with their mood and and with their perception and outlook on life. Um, There's I'm smiling right now. Mm -hmm. Nobody can see me. But just thinking about that, it just it makes me happy, man. And if I can make myself happy and if I can make other people happy, that's 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 a win win for everybody. Yeah, it's. I think you touch on you touch on a couple things that oftentimes we overlook. I think, but they are critical. Like on your path to this this life that you have now and what and the work that you do, you were you were paying attention to some of the cues of what people were noticing, and you're deep in the trenches of trying to live your life, and you know you may not notice all the steps, but other people do. And that social, it's one of those things that, that that's a level of recognition that you're, when someone says, Hey, you look happier. No, that's a cue. That's a good cue. And sometimes we're, you know, we're bashful or shy and we don't want people to notice us <laughs> oftentimes, but those are pretty critical steps. If you feel like you're coming from a little bit of a broken place. And, and the thing that in, across the field, across the wellness field, all of us that work usually have this same sort of thread of feeling broken at some point. And, and that, 
you know, and you talked about like personal, personal trainer, people who are in the training field, they often have something has happened or they've gone through an experience that it almost anchors them in the field and the work that they want to do. And it means something to help someone because you've gone through the path of helping yourself. And a lot of people gravitate towards a wellness field for the exact same reason. But also we find when we peel back those reasons why there's often, there's a period of, of feeling sad, isolated, not happy. I don't want to say depressed because there, I don't want to get into clinical depression versus feeling down. Um, but those often have a lot to do with what, you know, decisions people make too. But, but that from that broken place, you've developed empathy and that in and of itself is one of the most critical steps in any kind of helping profession. And you notice it when someone doesn't have that, you know, when you're, uh, I know when, when I travel, you know, we go to gyms around and you have seen various different coaches and, um, in different scenarios and myself as a athletic coach, you, you see when someone lacks that and doesn't help change people's lives, but that place of empathy as it helps you understand and listen to what it is that someone really needs versus what you want. And in that role of being a coach, while there's the X's and O's of doing something right, there's also the more important layer of being empathetic and trying to understand where someone's coming from and what they really need and from an emotional standpoint. And I think those are the times when I, you know, as even even as a coach of a sport, my most favorite memories are often about my sport or, or the things I remember most or that I feel like the lessons I learned through it. I understand that that sport is just a conduit for a life experience. It's it, the sport is the vehicle to help someone grow and to help someone reach a level that they didn't maybe expect they could or to grow up in a way that that I've, I've created an environment for success. And it's not always about what happens on the field, you know? And so like in your, when you're training people, when you're, when you're, you, you break it down to that one-on-one session, you're always working with these, with people in one-on-one scenarios and empathy is above all else, probably the most important piece of all of this, you know? And so that's where as in the field, I'm, I'm glad that we've gotten to a point where the discussions we have about how do we help make people make sustainable lifestyle changes has moved away from these, uh, I guess, tactics that hinge directly on changing your diet, exercising. They've gone to, how do you recreate your life so that you can take a step and then build, you know, like James Clear talks about, coupling and stacking behaviors to help facilitate a better life. And that change will come if you just continue with it. Like you said, like you lost 80 pounds and it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't like you went on a strict restrictive diet to lose weight. You know, I, you know, it's an appreciation of the process to get to somewhere that that you learned and now you can share that with the people that you work with. Sure. And along those lines, um, 
you know, that's a big thing that I really try to hammer home with my clients, and I, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, is you can't be afraid to fail. In a lot of cases, failure's great, you know? And, and oh, I'm a, lot a of, fan of failure. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you, I mean, to tie it into a, a coaching cliche, you, you learn more from a loss than you do from a win. And the problem is, a lot of the times where a lot of these people are coming from, is they've failed a lot in the past. You know, they've tried to get in shape, maybe selected a modality that wasn't appropriate for them. And when it didn't go right, instead of going, hey, that didn't work, let's go back to the drawing board, they get down on themselves, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a failure, I didn't make it work, I didn't have the willpower, and that's so far from the truth. It's not that you you failed because you didn't have what it took. It's failed, you failed because the system behind the method wasn't in tune. So let's take what didn't work and let's let's try something else. We we know that didn't work, so let's get rid of it. Let's not try and focus on it. Let's let's adapt. Let's try something different. If that doesn't work, then we'll do the same thing again until we get it right. And that's what I would encourage everybody to do. You know, embrace failure. Take a look at that failure and adapt it. Adapt it and keep growing. Keep growing from those changes. Keep growing from those those losses, those that failure. And before you know it, you're gonna find it. You know, you're gonna find the right combination of whatever it is you need. You just need to keep searching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's something too that's common. Like when you when we talk to um, especially anyone that's been involved in 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 the pursuit of exercising at any degree, and so I am between you know myself and a bunch of few of my friends were got involved in distance running, and for me that took that consumed a, a big portion of my life for a period of time, and there was the physical part of it that I appreciated, but there was the mental part of it that was more important to me than anything, and it was both challenging, but it was also like a quiet place for me to think or to process life. And being somewhat of an introvert, I need that time for processing. So exercises in running was my core exercise. Running fulfilled for me a deep emotional place. Like it was, it was critical to who I was and who I am. And so, um, and, and even, you know, sometimes I think people that sometimes well, people in wellness or like in, in exercise fit, you know, exercise too in the fitness world, um, the people that are coming or seeking help or people who want to start an exercise plan, they just assume that if someone's athletic, like, oh my gosh, you don't understand me. And, and, you know, those, that's not true. Like all of us, and, you know, you've talked about, um, your struggles and, and all of us come from different types of broken places and we have the same seeking of fulfillment too. And so, you know, even, even for someone like me, I was putting in 70 to hundred miles a week for a period of time. And so that was really important to me. And then I went into one race trying to complete a 50 K at one point And I just, there was something off that day for me and I had trained, but I, I hadn't really trained as much as I wanted to. I'd, I'd run the race before and I had done well. So I kind of got lazy with my training, but, but I also didn't like running as much and I didn't realize it till I was 
I kind of felt that way a little bit, but you always talk yourself out of it. And then I get into the race and got about halfway in and I was dealing with some stomach cramping and that's kind of normal for a, a, a really sure. long distance race. And these are things that usually you just work through and get past. And, but I had this emotional detachment from it. Like it was, I was, I felt, I, f- I kind of felt like I was watching myself fail in this, in the middle of this race. And I was feeling horrible. And then I started feeling desperate and lost. Like, okay, so if I hate running, then what do I do? You know, for, so for anyone, I mean, that's like, you take something that you love and then you no longer love it. And you, and you start to realize this is really not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you get sad and then you feel like a little lonely. And then that leads to this emotional cliff that sure. you've kind of fall off of. And you're like, well, but I, what, what else do I do? Like I need, I understand I'm a wellness person. I understand the need for exercise physically. I understand all the benefits for my health. I also had always treated it as my stress management. And that was critical. Like when I, I always wanted to go for a run if I felt stress or it was just, I made it part of my day. So I always knew I had that time to go take care of myself and think through all of the life issues or whatever I needed to think through. But then when that gets like, in some ways it kind of feels like it's ripped from you, then sure. then you feel just as lost as anyone else. And then you start wondering, okay, so what, what do I do? So what path do I follow? And then, um, that led me to join the gym, the Fitternal CrossFit gym. And by all means, like that fulfilled, I, I learned that I need, it gave me a chance to grow in a bunch of different ways. And you're, you're, you being a coach there was one of the critical people to help me learn a lot about myself, but also kind of fall back in love with the physical exercise process, not just from that physical standpoint of mm-hmm. developing strength and muscle and all that, like whatever physical benefits, but it was by far and away more of an emotional benefit than, than, than most of us even talk about or give credit to. But it, a lot of that is your empathy or your coaching and your understanding too of what people need in a moment. And along that way, I learned how much I love, I love working hard, but also how much I needed that time for my own emotional state. Sure, and let me ask you this, like what's your relationship like with running right now? It's getting better now. Yeah. I, I kind of took, I took a break, a, t- a long break from it. Mm-hmm. I haven't run a race in a long time, but I've now, after letting it rest for a little bit, now I feel like I'm, I love it more now. And so I've been spending more time running and it feels a lot better. I feel so much happier about it than I felt a year or two ago. See, and that's that's perfect. I'm glad that people get to hear things like that because how many people have been through that situation where, again, they've either fallen out of love with something that's been a constant part of their lives or they suffered an injury and they were told, you, you can't do this anymore. How many people would just wrap it up and say, okay, 
I'm just going to fall into obscurity, you know, Mm -hmm. go watch old pro wrestling tapes from the eighties and nineties on my couch every day. I think Uh, you must have thought about this. (laughs) Yes. Uh, but can, that's why, that's what I'm talking about. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try different things because you never know. You never know how things are going to affect you. And, and going back to my change of profession, like I, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day and that's why it's so important. I think to self-reflect every now and then just take some time. Like every big change that I've had in my life in the last 10 years have been nerve wracking. You know, those, those types of decisions or, or actions that just make you sick to your stomach, can't sleep at night about it. But every time that I've, I've made a change or, or tried a different thing, I've grown from it. So not saying those all those situations turned out in a positive fashion, but they provided me insight about what I want to do with my life or how I want to approach different subjects. You know, you gather information from all these changes. So it's, it's super powerful to just keep plugging away. Try new things. If things aren't working, switch it up. You know, yeah. just keep moving forward. Keep the bus rolling forward. And value failure. Yes, absolutely. Value fail failure. as much as you can. <laughs> fail, fail, <laughs> fail, fail. That's, yeah. I that, hope none of your soccer players are listening. Academics, uh, you succeed, young men, <laughs> young men and women. Oh, I, I, that's as a coach, I try to make sure my practice environment in, has a lot of failure in it so that it makes players grow. So there's a lot of things that are really hard and then they get the swing of it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about, so you're, uh, there's, a thread here that involves a lot of your family and a lot of things that you've um, that you've worked through with your your father, and so you're you've developed or you know there's a community behind you on on the Roger Strong movement to try to um, help people become more aware of some issues. I wanted to I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how that's developed over the past few years and and how you feel that that's helped the community too. Oh, sure. So a little bit of background. My, uh, my father, who uh, was a young man at the time, he had a stroke back in 2015. Um, you know, he was never a smoker. It was 100%, 100% uh, due to his genetics. He had a deformed carotid artery that nobody knew a thing about. And over the years, it just clogged up. He called in sick one day, which he never does. And, you know, this is, they say partners, you live together long enough, you're just in tune with one another. My, my mother kept calling to check up on him uh, and just kind of had a feeling that something wasn't right. She left work early, came home, found him on the ground, unresponsive. Um, she called all of us. We met her at the hospital. Uh, my dad was somewhat conscious at the time, but the, the doctors here in town, again, took very good care of him. They let us know that he was having a stroke and he needed to get sent down to UW-Madison. Um, he was in a coma. They operated on him that night. He was in a coma for, I think it was right around 17 days before he finally snapped out of it. Uh, didn't have the use of the left side of his body afterwards. Speech was affected. A lot of different issues came up over time. And as you can imagine, medical bills for something like that and, and recovery are, are out of this world. And uh, you know, it was presented to me one day, you know, 
work at a gym called Fitternal CrossFit, CrossFit gym here in town. Um, the owners, James and Chels, who had known my family for many years and have always been very kind to us, and a number of other people behind the scenes. I would hate to name names because I'm going to leave somebody out, oh, but there, yeah. are, there are a lot of people who are and to still to this day are still involved um, with the with the pro, with the um, workout. Came and said, "Okay, we're going to do a benefit, a workout. We're going to call it Roger Strong, and it's going to go towards." Uh, family's medical bills, and I was—I was so blown away by that. And um, you know, just going going back to what we said or what we talked about when we first started here, that sometimes when things like that happen, you feel super alone, right? Mm-hmm. Like you—you're isolated, and you know, this is the patriarch of of my family and a man who's been so supportive to me my whole life. I'm going to try not to cry right now. He's <laughs> um, been so supportive to me my whole life. And not just me, but family, friends. He was very involved with the youth, youth baseball program here in town, the youth football program here in town. He coached, you know, a number of, of kids throughout, you know, when I was growing up. And anyway, uh, that happens. And you see everybody else moving on with with their lives at normal and and behind the scenes like I'm just a wreck and I, I did feel and I did have a lot of family support, but I was I was feeling very isolated and to have these people come to me and say hey we're we're here for you, and we're gonna help you and we're gonna get through this together, and that was so powerful for me and exactly what I needed at the time and we had this benefit and it went out well and the community turnout was awesome so many donations from businesses who you know they didn't know my dad they didn't Mm -hmm. they just knew the scenario they heard the story and they said hey we want to help and you know at that very first roger strong um i was talking to my mom kind of off to the side and and you know she was crying and i was crying and we were just so thrilled with the turnout and she's like you know we are pretty lucky to live in the community that we do Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that because, you know, we think to ourselves, like if we lived in Chicago, mm-hmm. not to put Chicago on blast, <laughs> but that probably would have never happened, you know, because this, this community is, is its own little bubble and people are so close and connected. And I, I wish we could see that, you know, nationwide, you know, worldwide. I wish each of the communities that we live in have this kind of support that we have in this area. Um, because it was just such a powerful day for me personally. And we decided to do it again mm-hmm. the next year. You know, we had another coach whose son had some medical issues and they were dealing with a lot of medical bills behind the scenes. We had that, uh, we had that for their benefit. Again, the community turnout, unreal. The workout turnout, unreal. Third year we did it, same thing. So it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I always just like to say, it's it's like a beacon, right? Like if you're ever at a spot where you're feeling alone or you're feeling like there's there's nobody that's there to help you, you can just look at an event like that and have hope mm-hmm. because there are people, there are hundreds and thousands of people right around here who want to help you and that are here to help you. And events like that really help spread that cause. Yeah. Uh, especially in this community. Yeah. Well, I think too, you know, one of the, I'll tell you just personally too, one of the reasons why 
I wanted to support, I mean, besides the obvious of supporting you and your family, but I think you'll find that all, like all of us have kind of been through situations that have challenged us and in our families. And, um, for me, I was, uh, when I was, I used to be the director here for the national wellness conference and in the middle of the wellness conferences at 10 o'clock at night, I got a call from my, from my family in, so I'm in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and they're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my dad was being rushed to the hospital, and he had had a heart attack. And it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm in Stevens Point, and so my sister had said she would call me um, when they got to the hospital, try to figure out what, what, what was going on, like what was gonna be the prognosis, and he had had some knee surgeries, and he was also battling a staph infection, so, by the time he got to the hospital and they were doing some of the initial testing, they were very concerned that his that the staph infection had taken over his body. And that's very bad. And that the time that they could do anything about it could have passed. And there are all these different issues. And and I and I'm as I'm talking to my sister around midnight, I hear the doctors talking to her and saying they kind of think I should probably get to Tulsa as soon as I could because there were no tests that were showing anything um, other than that this was a really bad situation. And so um, I'm, a, I'm on the phone trying to figure out how am I gonna get a flight to Tulsa to get there as quickly as I could from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which isn't the easiest thing to do. And, and I ended up, and I'm in the middle of this conference event that I'm running and 1,500, 1,200 people um, had come to Stevens Point, and I'm in charge of this full event. So I had to figure out how, who's going to take over managing this because I need to leave as soon as in the middle of the week of the event. And so um, I managed getting a flight from Madison re- routed through Chicago to Tulsa. And I just remember sitting, sitting in the airport in Chicago, I'd gotten from, flew out of Madison around six in the morning, got to Chicago and was waiting for my flight to Tulsa. And um, the doctors were still doing tests and I wasn't sure by the time I got to Tulsa if my father was still gonna be alive. And I just remember sitting in that airport feeling as lost as anyone could ever feel, feeling stuck. Like there's absolutely nothing I can do to get to Tulsa quicker. and. And just and I think I had about a two hour wait, so I sat in one place for two hours, basically crying the whole time, not sure if I was going to see my dad again. Um, thankfully, by the time I got to Tulsa, a lot of the they were able to figure out and isolate the issue and and put a stent in and get his heart back to normal. And dealing with the staph infection it was localized, so thankfully he was able to recover spent a few nights in the hospital with him when I got down there. And, but I think, you know, when you have this events like, you know, Roger Strong and hearing your story, I think deep down, it's like, we all want to give you what we would have wanted to at that same time, because we understand where you're coming from and how challenging this is. So, and in this community, that does mean a lot. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think it's a powerful message to send because I don't know where it comes from, but we're all kind of pre-programmed to be strong, right? Mm-hmm. You need to be strong. Put on your game face. You're, you're told that a lot when you're <laughs> growing up. But man, some sometimes you don't have to. Sometimes you can, you can lean on your brother and your sister, you know, mm-hmm. and there are people out there 
who will let you do that and who, who welcome that? And I hope more people take advantage of those types of things, whether it be support groups or just reaching out to whoever when they're going through tough times because there's always somebody willing to listen, you mm-hmm. know, and there's always somebody willing to help you out. There are great people out there despite what you read in the news. Absolutely. You know? so. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Speaking of news, Uh-oh. you let me know you let me know something. So uh, by the time this airs, this will be old news, but today it's fresh news. And we learned today that one of the great heroes of rock and roll has passed away. Another shining light of absolute ear candy excellence. Eddie money passed away. I think he was battling heart, heart heart issue. Heart issue. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, Heart valve failed. Um, (sighs) Yeah. You know, but his music will live on and it will grace the airwaves for long after you and I are both gone because he <laughs> is Eddie Money. Eddie Money. Two tickets Two to paradise. Two tickets to paradise. That's where he's at right now. Could that possibly be the, on, on the list of greatest radio rock songs of, of the late 70s and 80s? Two tickets to paradise has to be near well, the top. When I think of '80s music, and you know, five songs pop into my head, he's definitely got two of them. You know, <laughs> what's <laughs> the other one? <laughs> working for uh, everybody's working for the weekend, Lover Boy. That's that's about as '80s as it gets. Am, I, ro- am yeah, I wrong on that's that? That's like there. I feel like the '80s you could split into like three little sub eras there was like the transition from the 70s to 80s so if you catch like those early 80s music it's It's weird a little funk it's funk yeah yeah, there's still some funk there's some like fake disco and then you get to the mid eight like those mid 80s and it's hair metal and then all the things that were influenced by hair metal so everything from motley Crue to lover boy to the outfield there's everyone had a mullet and a guitar, and then you get into the late '80s, and it's like complete like boys to men, you know, or Janet Jackson. You start transitioning into so that's my stuff right there. Yeah, R and B. You know that about me. R and B like took it over in that late '80s, early '90s. Sure, and Just, then we evolve into the boy bands and the Britney Spears towards yeah. the the end of the '90s. That was weird times. It was, it was definitely bizarre times. When if you look back now, you're like, it was seemingly it was seemingly normal then, but you're like, man. That was just bizarre. Let me ask you this. So I've always been curious to ask you this question because Metallica did rise to prominence in the 80s, the original lineup. Were you ever a Metallica fan? Did you own any Metallica albums growing up? I did not. (laughs) I was not, and I'm still not a Metallica fan. As much as everyone around me tried to push Inner Sandman on me, I'm like, I can't. I can't do it. I'll, although I will give them credit for the video to one when they tried to turn their music into some sort of weird movie art form. I, I was interested. I was curious. I still, there's something, and I know I make fun of you when you're coaching because you take us to dark places <laughs> where everything is in like minor chords and aggressive drumming and double double bass drum kits that I something happened where I just bypassed that era and then went from like Def Leppard to drive-by truckers. And then everything in between is 
I don't listen to. See, and I'm with you. Like I am, I am one of the rare people that I'm not a Metallica fan, and I might get some flack for saying that, but I, I am not. Safe, I never got tree. the appeal. That's okay if that's your thing. Do your thing, rock it out, bang the head, but uh, never got it. No, I, I kind of stopped. I needed, I needed, I needed some sort of melody. Metallica mm-hmm. doesn't do melody. So once you get, once you hit Metallica and then everything that was spawned off of Metallica's success, not in my not in my music. Kudos to them though. I think they're still making music, oh, yeah. right? And I they're think they've tried there. to change up their sound three or four times throughout. So you know they're still about the art, which is good to see. I'll give them Unlike credit. Nickelback, which is all about commercial uh, success, except for that first album. Go back and give it a listen. I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Any last parting words here, Andy? Uh, no, just thank you for providing me with the platform. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. I hope hope they're still listening. I hope we didn't lose anybody. And yeah, just to reiterate, if you're out there, don't be afraid to fail. All right, failure is good. Absolutely, we love it. Helps us grow. Rip Eddie money. <laughs> oh, to take us to paradise. Did you see? Uh, completely off topic did you see they might have discovered a lost continent it was on the national <laughs> geographics paid site so i only saw the blurb i didn't read the actual we article we don't have, we don't have time to no. dig it we'll have to get another podcast about the lost <laughs> andy and the lost continent oh that Highway stuff is to wild to me it's got to be out there <laughs> it's got to be see you later atlantis <laughs> thanks for coming thank you